Hello and welcome to Rank and File Radio Prairie Edition, a podcast providing labor news and analysis across Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. This podcast is also partnered with rankandfile.ca, providing labor news and analysis across Canada. We are broadcasting from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Treaty 1 Territory, the original lands of the Cree, Odukree, Anishinaabeg, Dakota, and Denny peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Today's date is July 12th, 2020. Rank and File Radio is now back after a brief hiatus. We're going to do a special series on union busting, looking at the many strategies employers and governments have used to attack unions and crush picket lines throughout time. So before we start that series, it only makes sense that we discuss Alberta Premier Jason Kenney's Bill 32, the Restoring Balance in Alberta's Workplaces Act, perhaps the most significant attack on unions and workers' rights in quite some time. Which is saying something because the United Conservative Party has unveiled attack after attack on workers since they were elected. Joining me today is labor lawyer Joshua Mandrick. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Before we get going, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, uh, my name is Josh Mandrick. I'm a labor lawyer at Goldblatt Partners. Uh, My work involves union organizing, grievance arbitration and bargaining exclusively on behalf of unions uh, and their members. Uh, In addition to that, I also do uh, employment class actions on behalf of non-unionized workers. uh, And there I deal with issues like wage theft, unpaid overtime and misclassification. So before we get into Bill 32, uh, can you provide a quick summary of the RAND formula? What is it and why is it relevant to understand here? Yeah, so the RAND formula is a system where workers who are working under a collective agreement uh, don't have to become members of the union, but they do have to pay the union dues that help that union function. And so the RAND formula is a Canadian compromise between mandatory union membership on the one hand, on the one side, and systems that wouldn't require employees to even pay dues like right to work on the other. And so the RAND formula is the logical flip side of the duty of fair representation that unions have. And the duty of fair representation means that unions are legally mandated uh, to fairly represent all employees in the bargaining unit, regardless of, you know, among other things, their union status. Uh, And the flip side of this, the the fairness to the union of this, is that uh, if these workers enjoy the benefits of union representation, they also have to pay dues. Uh, And so the RAND formula helps address potential free rider problems uh, where workers who would enjoy the benefits of collective bargaining uh, wouldn't have to pay the dues that make that possible. Uh, And uh, it's relevant to this discussion because of uh, some of the proposals that uh, Jason Kenney has put forward to undermine the RAND formula. Jason Kenney's Bill 32, uh, the Balance in Alberta's Workplaces, Restoring Balance in Alberta's Workplaces Act, requires union members to opt in to having a portion of their politi- of their dues go to political activities. So why is this significant in context of what we just talked about with the RAND formula? Well, first off, this is nothing about balance. This is about tipping the scales in favor of employers against working people and against their unions. Uh, and this is a, a very dangerous and radical proposition. Uh, and you know, it is a fundamental attack on the RAND formula the labor movement more broadly, uh, and progressive civil society. Uh, And so what this basically means is that uh, uh, unions are going to be prohibited from spending any portion of union dues on so-called political activities unless the members explicitly opt in uh, to those payments. 
It's also going to impose uh, filing requirements on unions uh, in this regard. Uh, and this is deeply problematic. Uh, and at the core, the dividing line between uh, collective bargaining activities of unions and the so-called political activities of unions is a complete fiction. Uh, this is widely recognized by experts and, you know, it's been ex it's been recognized by the Supreme Court of Canada in the Levine decision. And, you know, especially nowadays, but always throughout history, what unions are able to achieve and defend for their members is impacted by larger social and political issues. Uh, and it's not restricted to the bargaining table. So things like the Canada Pension Plan, universal health care and unemployment insurance are three obvious examples of public policies that have a tremendous impact on workers. Uh, and they have a tremendous impact on what unions can achieve at the bargaining table. Because the labor movement in Canada helped to fight to secure uh, universal public health care, they don't have to bargain about uh, uh, health care coverage uh, when they're at the negotiating table. And that frees them up to, uh, to bargain greater benefits around other issues for their members. Uh, and so, you know, it was unions who were engaged in so-called political activity to help form these programs at the outset. Uh, and today, unions help to fight for things like public pharmacare uh, and the protection and expansion of these existing programs. And these so-called social and political issues directly impact the economic lives of union members. Um, and similarly, uh, this, this divide is a complete fiction because engagement in the, in the political sphere matters because these gains that unions and their members are able to achieve can be taken away with the stroke of a politician's pen, like we're seeing Jason Kenney do right now. Uh, and, you know, other uh, so-called uh, political and social causes matter too. Um, unions are important participants in their communities. They support community organizations uh, and uh, they create bonds with those organizations. They support charities in the community uh, and they uh, develop goodwill through doing that. And they need and use that goodwill in the future if they, if they get uh, locked out and they need the support of the community. Um, and, you know, this will have a huge impact, not just on the labor movement, but on the broader community, on NGOs, on charities, on the United Way and organizations like that. Uh, and I guess finally, I'd just say, you know, more fundamentally, uh, this is wrongheaded because the labor movement uh, is about more than just the bargaining table. It's about bringing dignity for working people and helping to create a better world. Uh, and so what Bill 32 proposes here uh, will have a tremendous impact on the capacity to do that and on progressive civil society more broadly. Right. And there's also the issue of how unions are structured and how members can get involved in their unions and make decisions on how and where to spend their union dues. No, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, such an important thing to understand in all of this is that unions are democratic organizations uh, and unions, uh, uh, they are their direction is shaped and informed by their memberships and their membership votes on how their dues are spent. Uh, and that is uh, the accountability structure that they rely upon. Uh, and uh, it also helps to show why uh, this sort of initiative is entirely unnecessary, aside from all of the damage that it will cause. So last year, uh, Doug Ford in Ontario introduced the Student Choice Initiative, which would require students to opt in to student union fees, which would uh, essentially help defund students' unions and the various programs they support, including much of campus media. Uh, it was largely thought of to be a precursor to attacking the RAND formula. 
um, but it was struck down by Ontario courts. So can you maybe contrast how is Bill 32 different in that uh, regard? And, and do you think it will hold up in, in court ultimately? Well, both of these uh, things are part of the same playbook. Both are a step towards the bigger goal of the right, which is full-blown right to work. Uh, both are targeted attacks intended to hurt progressive social movements uh, that resist and fight against the right-wing agenda. And both have a real partisan political agenda, too, uh, as student unions and labor unions are, are progressive organizations that tend not to support conservative politicians. So I, I think that the reason why this is happening is, is clear. Definitely. And uh, Bill 32 also dictates how and when workers can uh, strike and, and picket. Labor law is already quite strict on, you know, how and when workers can strike and take job action and employers can attain injunctions quite easily to limit picketing like we saw in the co-op refinery lockout. So what makes Bill 32 worse than what already is out there? Yeah, so uh, like you alluded to, uh, here in Canada, our labor relations regimes, you know, province to province, they significantly restrict strike activity. Uh, and, and, you know, this is in a way far more so than you see in the rest of the world. Um, for instance, you know, you can only strike during legally mandated periods of time. Uh, Mid-contract strikes aren't permitted. But the Supreme Court of Canada has recognized that striking is expressive activity protected by the Charter. And that includes what's called secondary picketing. Uh, and secondary picketing is where workers picket outside of a location uh, other than the employer's location. So, you know, it, it could be uh, an organization that uh, is, is related to them somehow or giving them support or, or, or you know, a customer of theirs, etc. Uh, they might be doing pickets out there. Uh, and the Supreme Court of Canada has held that secondary picketing is generally lawful activity uh, unless it involves tortious or criminal conduct. Uh, and... Uh, what Bill 32 proposes to do is, is uh, place severe restrictions on secondary picketing. It, it in fact, prohibits secondary picketing uh, unless the union is able to receive an order from the Labor Board permitting it to do so. Uh, and uh, I suspect that these orders are not going to be uh, very common. Uh, I mean, it's also sort of silly because this is such a bureaucratic approach, uh, uh, the idea that the, the Labor Board has to grant an order granting permission about where the union can pick it. Uh, and it just shows uh, what a joke it is, the suggestion that this is about um, clearing up red tape. I mean, this is about creating all sorts of red tape and hurdles and barriers for the labor movement uh, in order to benefit employers. Uh, one other thing I'd also add is, is in addition to that, uh, Bill 32 also uh, uh, will, would punish unions by suspending the deduction of union dues in the event that uh, an unlawful strike occurs. Okay. Um, so there's a lot in Bill 32. What other elements of Bill 32 stood out to you? Obviously, we can't you know, get all into it, but um, some other highlights of, of red flags that you noticed. So there's a whole lot of problematic uh, proposals in this bill, uh, but just three points that really jump out to me. Uh, the first has to do with overtime and overtime averaging. Uh, and so Bill 32 will uh, have a dramatic negative impact on workers' ability to access overtime. Uh, so first of all, uh, in Alberta, workers are currently entitled to overtime on a weekly uh, and or a daily basis. Uh, Bill 32 removes the entitlement to daily overtime. Uh, secondly, uh, uh, currently, employees can agree to overtime averaging agreements with their employer, uh, which would average their hours over a period of weeks. 
in order to determine their eligibility for overtime. Uh, and these sorts of arrangements happen for workers who might work rotating shift schedules where they work uh, a large amount of hours in one week and then have a, a large number of days off in the next week. Uh, but Bill 32 uh, removes the requirement that employees have to agree to overtime averaging. Now an employer can just unilaterally impose overtime averaging, uh, and it also allows them to do so over an averaging period of 52 weeks, uh, which is very extreme. And what that means is that uh, an employer can determine unilaterally that uh, your overtime now must be averaged over a period of a year, uh, and it won't be until 10 days after that year uh, that you will actually be getting paid any of that overtime. Uh, so that'll have a very negative impact on workers' uh, access to overtime. Uh, the second point, uh, which is a more minor point, but just really shows the unfairness and one-sidedness of this bill, uh, is that there's a proposal to change uh, when an employer has to pay uh, their final pay to a terminated employee. Uh, and uh, they've added in that the employer now can choose to pay uh, that final pay as late as 31 days after the employee is terminated. Uh, and so this is problematic because for non-unionized employees, when they get terminated, uh, they often engage in discussions and negotiations with their employer about severance and termination pay. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that leads to litigation and sometimes they're able to make a deal. But what it means now is those negotiations will be going on uh, in the context uh, of the employer uh, withholding money legally from them. Uh, and it's just going to weaken the bargaining power of these employees who are going to be even more desperate to get some money in a settlement. And then the third uh, area that's particularly noteworthy and particularly uh, concerning in Bill 32 uh, is a whole host of amendments uh, related to the construction industry. Uh, and uh, the impact of these on the whole uh, is reasonable to assume will be hurting the traditional building trades construction unions uh, that are affiliated with the labor movement uh, and benefiting at the expense of the traditional building trades unions, uh, the Christian Labor Association of Canada or CLAC. Uh, and I think that this will have a real negative impact on, on working people and on unions in the construction industry. So stepping back, looking at the big picture, what does Bill 32 mean for workers in Canada? Uh, Bill 32 is bad news for working people. Uh, and if passed in its current form uh, for workers in Alberta, it'll mean less overtime pay, less workplace protections, and unfair restrictions placed on their unions in order to reduce their union's bargaining power. Uh, and for workers across Canada, uh, it's a sign, I think, of future attacks on labor's and worker workers' rights uh, that, uh, that are, are probably coming in the future. Is there anything else that uh, we should know before we sign off? This bill should be rejected in full. Uh, these are uh, horribly draconian, unfair, punitive, one-sided measures that will hurt working people and hurt the labor movement. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to provide a brief overview of Bill 32. Uh, thanks so much for your time, Josh. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. That was labor lawyer Joshua Mandrick. You can find him on Twitter at jmandrick. You've been listening to Rank and File Radio Prairie Edition, Canadian labor news and analysis across Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. 
subscribe to Rank and File Radio wherever you find your podcasts and don't forget to check out rankandfile.ca for labour news and analysis across Canada. And as always, thank you to the Patreon supporters who make this show happen. This is Emily signing off. I'll see you soon.